Welcome to the Milk and Honey with Lemon podcast. I'm your host, Lemon Price, creator of the Holy Girl Habits, wife and mama, and certified life and leadership coach who turned away from corporate life to embrace kingdom leadership. This podcast is for Christian women feeling the weight of their divine callings, grappling with doubts of their leadership abilities, and searching tirelessly for biblically grounded guidance who want to step confidently into their roles as radiant kingdom leaders. Inside, we're going to traverse from those feelings of uncertainty and overwhelming searches, moving toward firm biblical leadership, empowering you to steward your gifts and showing you that you indeed have what it takes. So sister, grab your favorite cup of coffee or tea and let's dive in together. Welcome back to the Milk and Honey Podcast. I'm your host, Lemon Price, and I am very excited because today we are going to talk about the legacy of some incredible women who have been just game changers, culture shakers for their time. And so we're going to journey all the way back to the roots of our faith, and we're going to talk about these beautiful foundation stones of Christianity and the women who laid them. So we're going to shed some light on some often overlooked yet pivotal women in the early Christian church. And so I'm excited. We're going to talk about deaconesses and leaders. We're going to talk about theological impacts and then spiritual legacy. So strap it because it's going to be a really fun day. So the early church was this beautiful mosaic of culture and belief and individuals all striving to understand and to propagate the teachings of Jesus. So within this very complex tapestry, certain figures, often not given the limelight that they deserved, they play very influential roles. So among them were these deaconesses and female leaders who were instrumental in the growth and the establishment of the early Christian communities. And so you've probably heard, this is a topic that is very important to me. It is something that I am personally enthralled with because you guys have heard this. I said this on the last episode talking about, I've had a bishop tell me that my role as a woman was literally all of my worth basically was in my womb and my ability to be a wife and a mother. I have had another pastor tell me that women don't want to go deeper in their faith. That actually irritates him, that women don't know what that means. He told me women didn't want leadership. They didn't want this sense of community. And so I have faced, it's very interesting, actually, since becoming a Christian, I have faced more opposition from men in leadership roles than I have anywhere else. There's been a lot of pushback. There's a lot of pushback I get too from women who have this sort of internalized misogyny about themselves. So this to me, again, this, I said this last week and I'll say it again. This to me is the reason that I do any of this. This is the reason I show up is because I know what it is like to have this fire inside of you stifled and for people to try to put a lid on it. But the Bible says that we don't light a lamp to put a basket over it, right? And so if God lit something up in you, then it is meant to be shown to the world. And so again, I want to talk about what I want to talk about leadership for women because this is really important to me. So first and foremost, I want to talk about what does a deaconess do? right? So deacon deaconesses in the early church, they were more than just like a helper, quote unquote, right? They were responsible for several key aspects of church life. So they assisted in baptisms. They took care of the sick and the needy. They played roles in evangelism. 
they were they served as a bridge, right? Reaching places and individuals that were not like accessible to these male church leaders, especially in a conservative culture. And so when I think about female deacons, right? I'm thinking about Phoebe. Phoebe is one of my faves. Phoebe is mentioned in Romans. So Romans 16, one through two talks about Phoebe. And here's the thing. Paul refers to her not just as a deacon, but also as a benefactor of many, including himself. So by just those little verses, right? Phoebe is more than just a helper. Phoebe is a leader. She is a patron and she is a pivotal figure in the early church. It is very possible that she played a key role in the establishment and growth of the Christian community in her town. You do not become a benefactor and a leader because you sat on the sidelines. You do not become a deacon of a church as a woman by sitting on the sidelines. And so I love that Phoebe went out here and was so influential in the gift and calling that God had for her. And so when we look beyond Phoebe, I think Phoebe is one of the most notable when we talk about deacons. Other women were mentioned as leaders and influencers in their community. Priscilla, and she's mentioned alongside with her husband, but Priscilla is noted for her teaching and her evangelistic endeavors. Lydia is a businesswoman who is credited with being one of the first European converts and was instrumental in establishing the church in Philippi. We have a whole book about Philippi. And it's because Lydia was instrumental in being the one who set up that church. If you remember, Paul goes and Lydia says, come here, right? She has her whole house converted and she's hosting church service in her home because, and she had people work for her, right? She had, she was a woman of means, right? She's a businesswoman. She sold, what was it? Purple linen, she sold purple cloth, so very expensive, right? So she's a businesswoman who then used her her business acumen to convert her whole household and then be an instrument for the church in Philippi. How amazing is that? And so when we think about the early church, the early church was so much more accepting, right? The gospel is so much more accepting of women in leadership than I think, at least in America, than the American church allows women to be. This is, I want to talk about this, right? Because society was very patriarchal, right? And Jesus came and I wouldn't call Jesus a feminist, right? Because I don't subscribe to like this new wave of feminism nonsense, right? I can do a whole episode on that. But Jesus said, hey, guess what? Women were also created in God's image. Women also have value. Women also need to be treated with respect. And so this emergence of female leadership within the Christian community inside of these very patriarchal societies was groundbreaking. And here's the thing is that the role of these women, I don't know about you, but I've never sat in a church service where they've talked about Lydia, Priscilla, Junia, Have you? Because I haven't. Lois, has that been? It's never discussed the role of Mary Magdalene. Absolutely not. And we're going to get into that in a minute. But women, I feel like Esther, right? And even Deborah, I don't hear people talk a lot about Deborah, which is very interesting because she was a prophet and that bothers people. 
It bothers people, especially here in the American church. And we've talked about gender politics. Go back and listen to the episode that I did with Pastor Ken. I'm going to pull up that episode number for you because it's way back here. Pastor Ken and I, episode 22. So I published that May 1st. Go check that out. So 22, talking about gender politics in the church and how specific Bible translations were actually created to keep women out of leadership roles. So here's the thing is that regardless of gender, God has given us something inside of us. There's a good and beautiful purpose inside of us. And it is not limited by gender. It is not gifts of the spirit don't pass over women solely because we're women. That's not the way that it works. Even though that is the way much of the culture has portrayed women. And for me, anyway, the influence of these early female leaders is profound because they not only established and nurtured communities, but they also set a precedent for us. Their leadership carved a path for future generations of women to lead, to serve, and to mark the church and beyond. And so I want to talk about this theological impact too, and how women like Mary Magdalene and Priscilla contributed to theological dialogues and teachings. Because again, this is so important to me because theological contributions of women are significant, but often overshadowed and overlooked. Mary Magdalene and Priscilla, they stand out to me as a key figure here because of their interactions, their teachings, and their roles within the early church. They offer some rich insights into the depth of the contribution that they made. And Mary Magdalene, I love her. I could talk about her extensively. I'll give you like a quick backstory on why I love Mary Magdalene so much. So Mary Magdalene, I grew up in, like I've told you guys before, or if this is the first time you're hearing this, I grew up in an anti-Christian household. My grandparents, they grew up Catholic. They lost a child to SIDS, and when they called their priest... On a Friday night, he said that he was playing poker and he would talk to them on Sunday about the death of their child. And that that did it for my grandparents, right? Again, I'm not condemning the whole of the Catholic Church, but this priest did not show up and do what he should have. And for my grandparents, that was the end of organized religion as a whole. And that makes sense to me, right? That was in the 60s. And the Catholic Church came out in like the full early 400s. And said that Mary Magdalene was a prostitute. And maybe you've heard this. Maybe this is the first time you're hearing this. But said that Mary Magdalene was a prostitute. Nobody in the 400 years prior had thought that Mary Magdalene was a prostitute. One priest on an Easter service said Mary Magdalene is a prostitute. And that became canon. That became the topic of discussion for hundreds of years. And in 1969, the Catholic Church came out and said... Oh, hey, by the way, we got this wrong. She's not a prostitute. Okay. And it's very interesting because that, again, from the year 400 to 1969, so about 1,500 years, people said Mary Magdalene was a prostitute. And so it's taking a very long time to undo that thinking. And anyway, so my grandparents, they left the Catholic Church before that decision or that statement was made. And I always grew up hearing that Mary Magdalene was a prostitute. God woke me up at three o'clock in the morning. That seems to be when we converse and told me that it was a Mary Magdalene season. And that's what I was going to write my book on. So that's what I'm writing my book on. And I'm very excited about it. But I was like, what does that mean? You want me to write a book about a prostitute? What does that, how does that make sense, God? And so then I started doing some digging 
And I find out that Mary Magdalene is known as the apostle to the apostles. I learned that, and I knew Mary Magdalene was there for at the tomb, right? I've, I've always heard this. Mary Magdalene was there at the tomb. She was told to go and tell the others. But it didn't click for me that Mary Magdalene was the first person to go and preach the gospel. To preach the fullness of the gospel, it was Mary Magdalene. So her deep theological impact begins with her being the first witness to Jesus's resurrection. And I think this is really important too when we're talking about women in the church. The first person that Jesus reveals himself as the Messiah to and says to go and share is the woman at the well. He takes a woman who has been divorced several times, a woman who is up at the well by herself because other people don't want to be with her. He tells her first in a time when women's opinion and testimony does not count as a full testimony. When women's opinion and testimony does not count as a full testimony, he tells a woman first to go and share the good news. And he tells Mary Magdalene, he chooses her to be the first witness to his resurrection. The gospel accounts emphasize her unique role with Jesus, choosing her as the first to see him post-resurrection, and then commissions her to go and convey this groundbreaking news to the disciples. Again, this not only elevated her status, but emphasized the trust Jesus placed in women to communicate central tenets of the Christian faith. Outside of canonical gospels, right, there is the gospel of Mary, which really shows her role as a spiritual teacher and a leader. Mary Magdalene is portrayed as possessing unique insights and teachings, often engaging in profound theological dialogues with the apostles. There is record of Mary Magdalene constantly pushing back against Peter. That She splits because there's so much dissonance here between Peter and Mary Magdalene. And I feel like you can see that in John because John is constantly calling Peter out for stuff, right? The other gospels will say, oh, and somebody chopped off an ear and John's, no, it was Peter. Peter chopped off an ear. He did that. And so there was definitely, you could tell there's like a little contention here, but that's Mary Magdalene is known as the apostle to the apostles because she's the one tasked to go and share the good news of the resurrection first. It is a woman. So when people tell me that women don't have a job preaching and sharing, look to Mary Magdalene. Okay, again, we've already talked about Priscilla, but I want to talk about her one more time, right? Because her contributions extend beyond the hospitality to apostles like Paul, right? She is noted for her theological acumen in Acts. One particular instance is her encounter with Apollos. When we think about Apollos, right, we think about him as this very lively, first enthusiastic preacher. However, Priscilla and her husband understood he had some gaps in his understanding and they took him aside and Acts 18.26 says, he began to speak boldly in the synagogue when Priscilla and I can never say her husband's name, Akila, Akia heard him. They invited him to their home and explained to him the way of God more adequately. This was not a casual correction but a deep theological education, highlighting Priscilla's expertise and her role as a teacher. That's the theological impact that has because Paul goes on to talk about Apollos and how he is one of the like top guys, right? When he's talking about division in the church and stuff like that. 
He says, are you following me? Are you following Apollos? Who cares? Follow Jesus. That's who you should be following. And so the inclusion and recognition of women like Mary Magdalene and Priscilla in theological discourse, it is completely underscored, right? The radical nature of early teachings, right? It is so important that we highlight what we're what the scriptures say and the way that God lifted up these women at a time, again, where women's voices in religious and scholarly matters were very marginalized. This active participation and leadership in theological discussion broke barriers and it set a new paradigm for us. And so here's the thing. These conversations did not stay confined to their time. Again, it set a precedent for women's role in ministry and theology and paves the way for female theologians, preachers, and leaders in subsequent generations. And so I would encourage you to go study Mary Magdalene and Priscilla and balance that with what it is that you've been told you have the capability of doing. And then, so finally, I want to talk about the influence that early... Christian women had and how it shaped the church's perspective on women and leadership roles, right? The days of Christianity, of early Christianity, were marked by a series of transformations, challenges, and redefinitions, right? Central to these dynamics were women whose faith, leadership, and contributions not only fortified the Christian community, but also laid a foundation for us to see. And so I want to talk about some spiritual legacies of women who have had profound implications on how the church perceives women in leadership roles. So again, at the very inception of Christianity, women stood side by side with men in embracing and propagating the faith. Whether it was Mary, the mother of Jesus, whose unwavering faith set the stage for the Savior's arrival, or the women who faithfully stood by the cross during Christ's crucifixion when many of the male disciples had dispersed in fear. Women consistently showcased profound spiritual strength. And I think that's really important. And I know we've already talked about this, but women like Mary Magdalene, who was the first witness and proclaimer of Christ's resurrection, subtly transformed the gender dynamics of proclamation. By being the first to share the good news, Mary Magdalene's role solidified the idea that women are not just passive recipients, but active heralds of the gospel. Women have a responsibility to go out and lead and share because Jesus said that you have that ability and that capability, right? The New Testament is full of instances where women played big roles like Lydia, we've already talked about, like Priscilla, like Eunice, like Lois, right? In Timothy, it talks about how Lois and Eunice's faith was passed down generationally and what a great example they were. And that's why these men stand where they stand. It is because of women and it is because of our faith and our propensity to go and share boldly. That's what the gospel is about. It's about the fact that not only do men have a voice and a responsibility to go be evangelists and preachers and teachers, but so do women. These women were leadership in action. And so I know I've talked about this too. There has been, we've seen this, what's the word I want to use? We've seen like a diminished role of women in leadership roles, right? And I've talked about this and there was just the the SBC conference where, you know, Rick Warren from Saddleback Church came and he said, hey, you know what? I got this wrong about women in leadership. And some of the churches were kicked out 
of the SBC because they have female preachers. What is it? Oh my gosh. Stephen Furtick Church. What is it called? I'm like the word elevation. I'm like, why could I not say the word elevation just now? Elevation just left the SBC and they didn't say it was because of the stance the SBC has on women in leadership, which their stance is very clear that they're, they actually just put out, it passed in like the SBC's council and it's waiting to be ratified by a majority of churches. But the SBC does not want women in any leadership, worship leaders, children's ministry. They want women in zero leadership positions. And so Elevation left and they didn't say it was specifically because of this. However, they left very quickly after and it's because Holly Furtick uh, frequently gets on stage and preaches. And so to say that women have been diminished in a leadership role would be a gross understatement. And I think it's because of societal structure and cultural influence. However, the records and stories of early Christian women is this beautiful reservoir that we get to pull from that is inspiration and it has a point of reference for movements advocating for greater women's involvement in church leadership. And so obviously we've seen a sort of this resurgence of the recognition of women's roles within the church, right? People advocating for women's ordination and leadership roles and theological contributions. I know when I was getting my MDiv in apologetics and theology, there were very few female apologists very few. It is predominantly a male field. And we're seeing more women go and do that. And I think that's really amazing to see. But then we also have to push back because there are plenty of people who don't like it. There are plenty of people who don't like it. And I am not on the progressive Christianity bandwidth here. That's not the bandwagon I'm jumping on. But the gospel is really clear that women do have a good purpose and we serve a purpose in leadership. And we are capable of preaching and sharing. I'm not necessarily saying women need to go pastor a whole church, but women, we there's a place for us. We have something worth sharing. And so the spiritual legacy of these Christian women, I think, serves as a beacon for us, right? Especially when they're in leadership roles like this. Their stories really highlight that spiritual authority and leadership are not bound by gender, but by faith, conviction, and calling. And so for me, their legacy just, it resonates with me. It's a reminder to the church of the intrinsic value and strength and leadership capabilities of women. And it, so I just, I want to thank you for hanging out with me today because I just want you to reflect on the legacy that these women have left for us and the path that we get to continue to forge. Right. Thank you for hanging out on this little historical pilgrimage that I wanted to go on today. The echoes of the early Christian women resound in our lives, reminding us of the power, resilience, and faith that runs in our spiritual DNA. So as Christian women, let's draw strength from their stories and continue to leave with grace and with wisdom and authenticity in whatever ministry in which we serve. And so until next time, stay rooted in faith and flourish in your God-given purpose. Thank you so much for listening to the Milk and Honey with Lemon podcast. I am so grateful you were here. I hope this episode has helped you move from feelings of doubt and uncertainty towards stepping confidently into your God-given leadership role, fully equipped with biblical wisdom. If you enjoyed this episode, please take a second to rate and review. Each review helps us to reach and inspire more Christian women leaders just like you. Don't forget to share your takeaways, post it on Instagram, tag me anywhere you're on social media, and I'll see you next week.